The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. Beginning in the first episode, we took pause to answer a central pivotal question put to all mankind. We pointed out that the question posed by Jesus of Nazareth forces us all to examine the identity and claims of Jesus and to decide who he is and what our relationship to him is. Jesus' question forces us each to examine ourselves and to make a decision about our present life, and more importantly, a decision about our eternal destiny. In this second episode, we continue to examine and answer the question, Who do you say I am? As you will recall, in the previous episode, we identified ten options to answer the question posed by Jesus. The abbreviated list of possibilities regarding the identity of Jesus are as follows. 1. A legend. 2. A wise man. 3. A philosopher. 4. A prophet. 5. A great man. 6. A bad man. 
7. A misunderstood man. 8. A lunatic. 9. A liar. And 10. Lord. Now we discussed, answered, and analyzed options 1 through 5 in the previous episode. We continue this episode with option number 6, Jesus was a bad man. Option number six makes the assumption that Jesus was basically a bad or an evil person who did or pretended to do things that may have been ostensibly good, virtuous, or benevolent on their face, but were in fact done for bad ulterior motives or for his own benefit. Essentially, Jesus did and said all that he did and said in order to trick everyone and achieve something which was not good. The accusation of people doing good things for evil reasons was not new even in Jesus' day. There were, in fact, those who lived in Jesus' day, just as there are those today who attribute Jesus' statements and actions variously to demons, devils, Beelzebub, or to bad moral character in general. Examples of this are found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, also chapter 12, verses 24 through 27, Mark chapter 3, verse 22, Luke chapter 11, verse 15, also 11 verses 18 through 19, or John chapter 7, verse 20, chapter 8, verses 48 and 52, as well as John chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. The common theme to each of the above verses was that those involved, including the scribes, the Pharisees, and other intelligent and educated people who had witnessed Jesus' healings, miracles, casting out of demons, and other acts of power, is that all of these people attributed those acts in one of two ways. Either Jesus accomplished the things he did as a direct result of God's power and authority, or Jesus was using power and authority of Satan. By itself, all of the things Jesus did would have been fine. The problem was that while Jesus was doing these things, he was simultaneously making bold statements clearly regarding his divinity, which forced everyone to either accept Jesus' divinity or to rationalize another explanation, such as Jesus using the authority of Satan. Jesus himself answered his critics then and now regarding the counterproductivity and absurdity of such an argument in Matthew chapter 12, verses 24 through 28. Quote, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. Unquote. Now the first things to notice common to all of the passages above is that unlike many today who encounter the question, 
who do you say I am? Those in Jesus' day began with a belief that God was a reality. Likewise, those of Jesus' day knew the reality of Satan's existence. Thus, the issue of God versus no God, which is so prevalent today, was not the same factor for those who encountered Jesus in his day. Had it been, Jesus would never have used the logic argument found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 24 through 28. If Jesus had been speaking to atheists, then those listening would simply have said, What are you talking about? There is no God, nor is there a Satan. Both of these are myths invented by superstitious, uneducated people. Even if some or all of those involved were atheistic, they were forced to limiting the credit for Jesus' accomplishments to either God or Satan, since the things that Jesus was saying and doing were impossible for mortal men. Instead, Jesus' argument was decisively accurate and instructive to all. Even if we limit the argument to Jesus being a bad person versus a good person, and leave out pejorative terms like evil, we are no better off. The basic problem is to try to find a motive for Jesus consistently and constantly saying and doing things which are counterproductive to someone who has quote-unquote bad intentions. If Jesus was bad, then why does Jesus heal the blind, the deaf? the lame, the sick, the leper, the demon-possessed? Why does Jesus feed thousands with scraps, walk on water, raise the dead? Why does he preach love for one's enemies? Why does he willingly allow himself to be beaten, crucified, and killed for others? Where's the ulterior personal payoff? What did he personally gain for his alleged quote-unquote bad motives? Option number seven. Jesus was a misunderstood man. When we say misunderstood, what we mean is one of two things. One, either Jesus or the people who knew Jesus were confused and misunderstood about who Jesus was. Or two, either Jesus went along with the misunderstanding and confusion despite knowing better, or Jesus got caught up in the hype and began to believe his own press. Whichever option we choose, the underlying premise is that Jesus was a weak-minded, confused, and gullible person who incorrectly believed himself to be something that he was not. The only problem with this idea is that the entire record of Jesus' birth, life, and death run contrary to the theory. Instead of a bumbling and weak-minded individual... The record demonstrates a resolute, strong, and determined person. Jesus said and did things on a regular basis that no man has ever said or done before or since. The history of Jesus' life was not one of ineptitude or confusion. Rather, Jesus' life was and is a case study of extraordinary abilities, miracles, and the supernatural. Jesus' intelligence, wisdom, perception, intellect, self-perception, and philosophy were and are unparalleled in history. Time and time again, wherever Jesus went, when people heard Jesus speak and saw his actions, everyone was moved to conclude one of two extremes. Either Jesus was a great prophet, the Messiah, or the Son of God, or 
Jesus was a deceiver empowered by Satan. But one thing Jesus was not was confused or misunderstood about who he was. Options number 8 and 9. Option number 8 suggests that Jesus was merely a lunatic, someone who was delusional, mentally incapacitated, or deranged. Alternately, option number 9 suggests that Jesus was simply a liar, someone who intentionally or otherwise fabricated, exaggerated, or outright lied about certain aspects of his identity. The fact is that those making either suggestion realize and concede that Jesus and others made clear claims, statements, and actions that declared himself to be Lord and God. Once this realization and concession of the reality of the plain truth of the matter is made, then there are two things which are evident as a prerequisite under these options. 1. Jesus' existence as a historical person is stipulated as being factual. If this were not the case, there would be no point of making the case that Jesus was either a lunatic or a liar when Jesus was someone who never existed. 2. Jesus can no longer be said to be a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a good man, since none of these people can simultaneously knowingly lie on a regular basis about matters of such gravity, and at the same time maintain their status as being a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a good man. The two sets are simply diametrical and antithetical. The options which remain are either Jesus was a lunatic or Jesus was a liar. Frankly, the primary reason for suggesting that Jesus was either a lunatic or a liar seems to be born of circular reasoning and priori bias. When atheists, skeptics, and secular humanists see and hear Jesus and others making the claim that Jesus is Lord and God, they immediately conclude that he is a lunatic or liar. The reason is that the atheist, skeptic, and secular humanist have already concluded that there is no God, nor can there be, because this concept is illogical and non-factual in their worldview. Consequently, because there is not and can be no God, anyone who would then claim to be something which does not and cannot exist must be a liar or a lunatic. Likewise, any claims, statements, actions, or evidence which suggest to the contrary must have been manufactured, concocted, manipulated, or tainted to fit the lie and the lunacy. Another motivating reason for the atheist, skeptic, and secular humanist to maintain this position is that if they were to alter their bias and seriously entertain the possibility that Jesus is who he claimed to be, i.e. Lord and God, then not only would their whole chosen worldview implode before them, but they would also be forced to come to terms with the fact that God does exist since Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. Further, they would be obligated to submit to the fact that Jesus holds all authority over life, death, hell, the grave, and eternal life, and that they are accountable to his authority. This would now mean that the atheist, the skeptic, and the secular humanist are lost in rebellion and sin. They are hopeless on their own. They are in need of a Savior and must turn in repentance to place their faith and trust wholly in Jesus as their Savior.
This is indeed a dilemma, since for the atheist, skeptic, and secular humanist, the faith of their chosen worldview runs contrary to all of what God, His Word, and Jesus have declared. In his famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis made the statement sometimes called Lewis's Trilemma. Lewis said, quote, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, unquote. When we sincerely look at the contention that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, we uncover more problems than we resolve. If, for example, Jesus were a liar, why would he die for his claim? Jesus could easily have avoided great persecution, his trial, the mocking, one of the severest beatings on record, his conviction, his crucifixion, and an agonizing death just by saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I lied. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not your Lord or God. I'm just a poor carpenter from Nazareth. If Jesus was a lunatic, how did he engage in intelligent debates with his opponents or handle the stress of his betrayal and crucifixion while continuing to demonstrate love for his accusers and enemies? If Jesus was a lunatic, then what better way for Mary and those who knew Jesus to get him out of being convicted, crucified, and killed? All Mary or the disciples had to do was show up at the trial and say, Hey, I know Jesus has said a lot of really incredible things and has offended some of you, but I beg your mercy because Jesus has suffered from a mental illness since he was a child. Please understand, he doesn't realize what he's saying or doing. But the fact is, none of this happened. Instead, the people who had listened to, spoken with, and witnessed Jesus' words and actions took them seriously. They were so offended and outraged by Jesus that instead of pronouncing him insane, committing him to an institution or prison, that instead incarcerated him, tried him, beat him, crucified, and killed him. Insofar as Jesus' trial is concerned... It is notably important to bear in mind that Jesus endured not one, but six trials. During the first trial, Jesus went before Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the former Jewish high priest. During the second trial, Jesus went before Caiaphas, the current high priest, as well as part of the Sanhedrin. During the third trial, Jesus went before the official body of the Sanhedrin, during the fourth trial, Jesus went before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. During the fifth trial, Jesus went before Herod Antipodus, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Finally, Jesus returned for his sixth trial again before Pilate. While many of the people who encountered Jesus had political and personal axes to grind against him, none were uneducated or illiterate. 
Most, if not all, were very intelligent, well-educated individuals who knew well the law and the customs of their time. Yet, despite their contact, questioning, conversations, and knowledge of Jesus during the expanse of these six trials, none of these people ever suggested or accused Jesus of being a liar or a lunatic. This is especially important in the case of Pontius Pilate. Randy Borum and Solomon Fulero both point out in their book, Empirical Research on the Insanity Defense and Attempted Reforms, Evidence Towards Informed Policy, Law and Human Behavior, that, quote, In the days of the Roman Empire, the government found convicted people to be non-compass mentis, meaning without mastery of mind, and not guilty for their criminal actions, unquote. Keeping this in mind, in the Gospel accounts we read that Pilate lobbies for Jesus to be spared his eventual fate of execution and considers Jesus as innocent of plotting against the Roman Empire. Pilate states, quote, I find no guilt in him, i.e. Jesus, unquote. And he asks the Jews if Jesus should be released from custody. Pilate acquiesces only when the crowd refuse to relent, and at which point Pilate seeks to avoid personal responsibility for the death of Jesus by washing his hands to show that he did not personally agree with the execution of Jesus. Given the fact that Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor, well acquainted with Roman law, and who was obviously motivated to release Jesus, one could think of no better way for Pilate to acquit Jesus than to claim that Jesus was an insane lunatic. Yet again, despite all efforts, Pilate never raises the specter of insanity regarding Jesus. Herod Antipas also finds nothing treasonable in Jesus' actions and says nothing about insanity and returns Jesus to Pilate. In fact, as we look at each phase of Jesus' six trials with all of his contacts with the officials, councils, elders, and leaders involved, not one person ever suggested that Jesus be given leniency, mercy, or other consideration because Jesus was insane. I submit that the reason was not that he was a lunatic or a liar, Rather, the reason was because Jesus said he was Lord and God, and all who heard him believed him to be serious and in his right mind. It was this seriousness, intelligence, wisdom, and sanity, combined with Jesus' claims to be Messiah, Lord, and God, which made him a threat worthy of death. The evidence supports that claim. Again, when answering the question, who do you say I am, in order to evaluate the merits of whether or not Jesus can be limited to or elevated above the title of lunatic or liar, we need to examine the statements, claims, and actions of Jesus, as well as the evidence about him. This brings us to option number 10. Jesus is Lord. Prior to number 10, every other option posited has attempted to deny that Jesus is Lord and God. In every other option, Jesus is a legend, a myth, a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, 
a bad man, a misunderstood man, a liar, or a lunatic. To the atheist, skeptic, and secular humanist, any one of these is an acceptable alternative to Jesus being Lord or God. Each option attempts to deprive Jesus of his divinity. At its heart, the core truth is that options 1 through 9 exist as a natural result of man's innate tendency to rebel against the constant and plain revelation of God and his central message of the good news. For some, the news that salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, seems to be bad news because they must surrender their pride and rebellion, as well as the comforts of the world and its rewards, for the peace which comes from the knowledge and promise of those comforts to come, which never fade or fail. These ten options point out the dividing line between how secular man identifies Jesus and how those who have a relationship with Jesus see him. While the clear teaching of Jesus' divinity may seem obvious, there are nevertheless some today who still attempt to say that Jesus himself never claimed anything more for himself than simply being a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a great man. Further, Secular man makes the allegation that it is only the overzealous followers of Jesus who have erroneously continued to drag Jesus kicking and screaming from being what the secular world knows him to be, to being what we Christians believe him to be, namely the Messiah, God the Son. Both views cannot be correct, since both views are contradictory. So which of the two views is historically correct? To answer the question, let's return to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, where Jesus asks the questions at hand. Remember, the first question posed by Jesus to his disciples was, Who do men say that I am? The second question was, Who do you say I am? The difference between the two questions can only be explained in two ways. Either Jesus did not think his question through and was careless enough to leave his question nonspecific enough to allow for an answer which was not to his liking, or he purposely and specifically asked the two questions the way he did in order to draw the distinction between the two answers and the sources from which they come. If we assume that Jesus was careless and thoughtless, then that tends to contradict the idea that Jesus was a wise philosopher or a prophet, since none in this group would fall into that trap. More importantly, if Jesus felt the same way as some secular people do, then he would be emphasizing the importance of his message and focusing people on the philosophical truths his message contained. Jesus would not be asking questions and directing attention to his identity. The fact that Jesus does focus attention on his identity tells us that the question and the answer regarding his identity is equally, if not more important, to his message. To give further illustration, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Peter giving the answer to the second question, quote, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, unquote. As a result of this interchange between Jesus and his disciples, we can draw several conclusions. One, because Jesus asked the second question, 
but whom do you say I am? The inference is that if any of the answers given by men, i.e. the world, to the question, who do men say I am, had been correct or acceptable, then Jesus would have no reason to ask the follow-up question, whom do you say I am, for comparison. If any of the initial answers had been correct, then Jesus would have given his blessing immediately and ended the conversation. 2. Since Jesus only gives his blessing to Peter's answer and ascribes inspiration from God to Peter when Peter pronounces that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then by logical deduction, any answer other than recognizing Jesus as being the Christ, the Son of the living God, is not of God, but rather of men, and is consequently wrong and without blessing. 3. Since Jesus gave Peter a blessing for his answer, we can conclude that Jesus agreed with the answer, otherwise Jesus would have corrected Peter. This being the case, since Jesus is agreeing that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then he cannot be a mere mortal wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, or a good man, since none of these people can make the claim to be God and simultaneously remain wise, philosophical, prophetic, or good unless they are God. However, the reality we are left to deal with is the Bible records Jesus as having made very specific claims about himself. This being the case, it behooves us to examine these claims and statements before answering the question, Who do you say I am? If we were to survey the New Testament and highlight the statements and comments given by Jesus during his ministry, what kind of things would we find? Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 says, quote, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, unquote. In Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, we find the following, quote, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion, unquote. Luke chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, quote, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. Unquote. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. Once there, Jesus meets a woman identified as a quote-unquote sinner in the city. This woman begins washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair, kissing his feet, and anointing them with ointment. When the Pharisee observes this, he begins to question Jesus' status as a prophet, since by his reasoning, any prophet worth his salt would know this woman was a sinner and would therefore protest her touching him. In verse 47, Jesus says, quote, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Unquote. In John chapter 5, we are introduced to a certain man at the pool of Bethsaida who Jesus heals from his infirmities on the Sabbath day. The Jews find out about this and confront Jesus over violating the Sabbath. In verse 17, Jesus responds to their allegations as follows, quote, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hereunto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God, unquote. In John chapter 10, verses 17 through 33, we read, quote, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? 
The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou being a man, makest thyself God. Unquote. If you don't want to believe that Jesus was claiming to be God, then look at the Jews' reaction to his statement for clarification. Jesus asks the Jews, quote, For which of those works do you stone me? Unquote. The response is, quote, You, a mere man, claim to be God. Unquote. Clearly, the Jews understood that Jesus was claiming deity when Jesus declared, quote, I and my Father are one. Unquote. He was saying that he and the Father are of one nature and essence. If this were not the case, then as soon as the Jews made the clarification, Jesus would have said, Hey, slow down. There's no need to stone me. I never meant to say I was God. You misunderstood. Nor is it likely that Jesus, who was a Jew, who grew up among the people and culture to which he was speaking, was speaking from ignorance or lack of understanding of the language and beliefs of his audience. The only explanation is that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying and what it meant. Lastly, consider John chapter 17, verse 5, which says, quote, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began, unquote. It is impossible to look at these verses and others and miss the fact that Jesus is clearly and unequivocally claiming the divinity that only comes from being equal to God. Jesus himself clearly and absolutely removed himself from being merely a legend, a wise man, a philosopher, a prophet, a good man, a bad man, or a misunderstood man. Pretending lunacy and insanity on the part of Jesus is no longer a viable option. What we are left with is the truth that Jesus is saying, He is Lord. Having said this, the question by Jesus remains, quote, Who do you say that I am? Unquote. This concludes this episode. Please join me again for Episode 3. Thank you for listening.